voices. Good morning. Good morning. Um, just what Rob has been doing, like the worship and everything today, um, it just kind of gave me a little bit of confirmation because I was a bit like, am I um, left bailed here, God? Is it just a me thing or is this what you really want to say this morning? So uh, thank you, Rob, for the worship. It just really confirmed what I felt the Lord wanted to speak to us this morning about. So um, if you've been before, you've probably heard that we're doing the Bible experience. Um, if you haven't been before, um, for the last maybe two years, is it two years? Yeah. Um, the church has been reading through the Bible together um, at home. And so I'd encourage you, um, I'll be honest, I'm not an everyday Bible experience person. I'm sorry. Um, but it's really given me a chance to, you know, when you're like, I really need to get into the word, but it can be so overwhelming. Um, where do I start? <laughs> it's a lot of books and there's a lot there. So I go on the Facebook page and there is, Rob has put up the PDF of the date and what the reading is. And I go on and I read it. And every time I've disciplined myself to do that, I've been um, challenged but blessed. So I encourage you, just because you haven't been on the journey, it doesn't mean you can't get on the journey. It doesn't mean you can't try it today. And I just encourage you. It's kind of like having um do you remember in the days, when, um, I mean, they still do them, but I think they've kind of got out of vogue, you know, the daily bread, or you had your devotional and you opened up and you knew what you were reading that day. Um, and I just, it's been so encouraging to me that even when maybe I've lost the discipline of reading the Bible every day, I can, there's a pathway for me to get back to it. And I just encourage you, try it this week. You know, when you start on something, it's like, uh, Going home, like if you're going to lose weight, you're going to get fit. I'm going to go to the gym five days a week. Um, I'm only going to eat salads. Um, but that doesn't last. Slow and steady wins the race, yeah. Just try it once this week. I encourage you. Hop on in. And just as you open the Word, say, God, what do you want to speak to me today about? And there's a whole community online on Facebook. If you're on, if you want to, people get on, they share videos, and they say, like, just encourage you. Oh, this is what I got out of that scripture. And you'd be like, wow, I didn't get that at all. I got something different, or, wow, that's exactly what I was thinking, and it's just really nice, so um, just encourage you to do that, okay? Um, but back to what we're doing today. So the readings this week were Joshua in the Old Testament, chapter 6 to 10. So um, if you have your Bible with you, if you want to open up Joshua, if you don't, don't worry. The main scriptures we're using are coming from the NIV version, and I'm going to put them up on the screen, but we'll just wait there for a second. I'll just open it up here now. So um, the thing about Joshua is I was reading it and, you know, probably need to ask for forgiveness, or, but I don't know about you guys, but the stories about Joshua and Noah and Joseph, you know, the ones we kind of do in Sunday school or you hear about, they're in the children's Bibles. You kind of think of the stories as like, they're children's stories. They're, you know, Joshua listened to God, took the people of Israel, marched around the you know, the walls of Jericho, seven days, then the walls fell down, they had victory. And we know their stories are Noah went into the ark, the rain fell, everybody died, you know, they came out, God kept his promise. We know them, but I think sometimes we've belittled the word of God because we think of them as children's stories. You can, if you've grown up in any sort of religious background, whatever church or anything, you would know a bit of those stories. But I think sometimes we kind of gloss over them. And I um, really felt that, like I asked God, like, help me not to gloss over this story. Help me not to see, let the familiarity mean that I just read over it. And it doesn't really sit with me. And um, the thing, actually, if you do read it yourself and not like the children's Bible version, it's not actually suitable for children. There's a lot of 
bloody murder, not a meaning, a lot of uh, very difficult as a Western Christian in modern terms. How do I reconcile a God who we've been singing about, the blessings he loves, he's amazing. He commanded them to slaughter every man, woman, and child. I have a four and a seven-year-old. Um, that's a lot of questions you open up at bedtime when you read that story from the actual Bible. Um, and you're just like, oh, we'll just talk about that later. Um, but So reading it, Rob spoke um, you know, for the first part. And the text that I'm mainly going to look at, um, and we're going to track back from that today, is Joshua 10:25. So I think, Mal, if you just read the bottom line, so just to be really confusing, because that's how I am, we're going to start with the verse that we teach the kids in kids' church or in Sunday school, you may have heard, and it's the bottom one there, and we're going to track back because it's actually quoted. It's actually Joshua first heard it in a different part than Deuteronomy. We're going to work back. So Joshua 10, 25. Joshua said to them, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. Okay, so this is Joshua declaring this to the people of Israel. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies. And he's talking about, if you know the story, Moses had led the people through the wilderness. It was time... Joshua starts with, Moses was old. He needed to pass on. He passed on his mantle. God told him to Joshua. Joshua was the one who was going to lead, go across the Jordan into the promised land, that they were going to have all of that land. It would be their inheritance, and it would be divided among all the tribes. God had made them that promise. And he made that promise. And here we look in chapter 10, and Joshua is declaring that promise. But how did Joshua get to a place where he could declare that promise. If you look back, so in Joshua 10, 8, the Lord is saying that promise. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. The children of Israel were crossing the Jordan into a land full of different tribes of people, of warriors, of people who are better trained, more prosperous, more knowledgeable, had better kings. But God had said, Israel, I will give you victory. So he said it in 10, and then before even 10, he said it in Joshua 8, 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I, for I have delivered into your hands the king of I, his people, his city, and his land. So again, God has said that. It wasn't the first time, wasn't the second time. If you go back even further, Joshua 1.6. He's repeating the same thing over and over again. Do you think the children of Israel were a bit like us? Thick. He didn't, ha- he didn't need to say it once. Because maybe they didn't get it the first time. Maybe we don't get it the first time. The second time. The third time. It's like, I love the children of Israel because they really are us with our flaws, with our deaf ears, with our stubborn spirits, with our disobedience. Um, But God still loved them. And even us with all our flaws, God still loves us. God uses the Old Testament to teach us and show us his love for us. 
Sometimes you look at it and it just seems like all blood and murder. But the whole story has the purpose to lead up to that. God knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows the wonderful things. He knows the dark things. And he still loves you. And he knows his heart is for you. Like the song sang, his heart is for you. And he will keep on trying to reach you and tell you of his promises and remind you of his love. So he says again, so he goes, be strong, courageous in Joshua 1, 6, because you, I, you will lead the people to inherit land. And I swore to their ancestors the first promise. And then 1.7, be strong and courageous again. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not, return, do not turn from it to the right or to the left, uh, that you may be successful wherever you go. So the wording kind of changes slightly, but do we get the gist of what he's saying? He is saying to the children of Israel, be strong, be courageous, do not fear. Not because you're great in yourself, but because the living God is with you and I have made you a promise. And he first said this, not in Joshua, but in Deuteronomy. Before Joshua was the leader, before they crossed the Jordan, before they'd seen even their first victory, God made a promise in Deuteronomy. He declared it, then he said it to Moses, and Moses declared it to the people the first time. So let's look at the original text, where it first started. Deuteronomy 31, 6, 8. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, sorry, typo, in the presence of Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with his, this people to the land that the Lord swore to his, their ancestors to give them. You must divide it among them as is their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. If you jump into Joshua 10, you just see a Joshua who has had victory, who has had um, walked in the promises of God. They're halfway, they're like three quarters away, maybe through the promised land. They have taken over everywhere. You know, it's kind of like when, on your good days. Yeah. God is with me. God is for me. He has answered his prayers. You know, like if you get you on a good day, you get me on a good day. I'm like the best evangelist, worship leader, you name it, I'm doing it. God is faithful, he is true, he is wonderful, he's magnificent. That's me on a good day, okay? So if you jump into chapter 10, 25, the first one I read, he's like, he's saying to the people of Israel and to himself, be strong, be courageous, God is with you, right? But you really miss the essence of Joshua's story. Because you don't just land there. You don't just land on your good days. What was Joshua doing on the bad days? What was God doing for Joshua on the bad days? Maybe not even bad, just rough, the wobbly days. It's not always easy. God was setting Joshua up for what he'd called him to do. If God has asked you to do something, if God has made a promise to you and your family, 
whether it be salvation, whether it be healing, whether it be peace. You come from a, a really like turmoil in your family, like, and then you've see, saw God in it. Like, it can seem a million miles away. But if God has made you that promise, he is faithful. And he doesn't just expect you to just stand. You know, like the first day you're going to have victory and everything. And, you know, sometimes we become the Christian. I can just speak about myself here that, you know, when I first came to know the Lord, everything was a bit sunshine and rainbows. Like, it's amazing in the beginning. Like, and you may have had that God moment, or maybe it was a gradual process of coming to accept God, Jesus as your Savior and knowing that God is real. Um, but a little, it's a bit sunshine and rainbows. Everything's wonderful. And you, you know, on that first day, you would take the promised land. You would storm a city. You would do anything for God. Um, and that joyous energy is wonderful. Um, but as life goes on and stuff happens, sometimes God's promises become more distant. Sometimes you may have had a failure, unanswered prayer, a dark night of the soul when you've never been so low. And you're like, I thought this season was gone. I thought I was, a, you know, I thought I knew God. Everything was going to be great. But God is gracious. And he knew, like, there's no, if you have been given a piece of the gospel that I said that everything's going to be dandy and everything's going to be great and sunshine and rainbows for the whole of your life, I'm really sorry, but that's not true. We're not promised that. We're not promised sunshine and rainbows. But we are promised a God who will never leave us or forsake us. We are promised that there is a hope and there is an end and there is light. And he is with us. So it's important to follow Joshua's journey. So the principles, like, I'd really encourage you to go over and read this because, like, the story is so, um, I just think it's really human, okay? So they're, that's great. They call Mo Joshua out in front. You know, Moses calls Joshua out in the beginning and he says, he's going to be following and everybody's like, great. Which is a very unusual transition in leadership. Usually there's a lot of bemoaning. But Moses is comfortable enough in who he is that he doesn't feel threatened by Joshua. Joshua isn't insecure. He knows that God's called. You know, it kind of works out. Moses passes. Joshua takes the people. They go in. They have an amazing victory. God, Rob spoke last week about obedience. And it's, it's really important on this journey with God. That obedience is important. And I'll show you part of, like, in one of the chapters that um, the first victory is amazing. And you can imagine them. They're like, yes, God came through. You know, the start of a wonderful blessing relationship. Yes, everything's wonderful. And uh, they did say, kill every man, woman, and child. Do not take any of the riches from them. Do not take any of them, okay? Bring them all into the temple. I don't want any soldiers to take any goods. Um, but then they went to their next battle, and they lost. It was a small Middle East battle. The Israelites were, and Joshua threw himself on the ground. I was like, I can imagine him as being a really dramatic person, and God just been like, because kind of the words kind of say, Joshua, what are you doing? Get up off the ground. And he's saying to him, um, listen, you d someone disobeyed me. Fix it, and we'll continue on. Just that lesson that there will be mistakes, there will be failures. What do you do with those failures? God told Joshua, now it's pretty brutal, 
They pulled out, take the tribes out. God told them, this one. Then the tribe came out, then they took the family. You know, the larger clan, then they took the family. And then they found the one guy. And he had taken lovely robes and gold and stuff like that and hidden it in his tent. And they took him out. They took his whole family out. And God told them to kill them all. Now, we can go on a separate sermon about that. It's kind of tricky. But just the fact that God said to Joshua... It wasn't the end of the journey. The mistake, the sin wasn't the end of the journey. He picked, he said, get your, stop, look, stop being dramatic, get your face out of the dirt, pick yourself up, let's sort it. So there was a punishment, that family was removed, they went on, they had the next victory. They had the next victory. They kept on declaring. They had a mistake, but they declared again, be strong, be courageous, the Lord your God is with you. The other part of the story, there was another error there was a tribe that lived kind of next door, kind of like Great Sands or Shankill, and they got terrified because everybody is being slaughtered. And they're like, we're next. So they came up with a plan. They said, we'll pretend we're from far, far away, but we need to make peace with the living God. Their God is real. So they went over, they pretended, and they tricked the Israelites. They said, oh, we've come. They put old shoes on. They had rotten bread. They did all this. They came over and they said, we have... Uh, travel. We want to make a peace treaty with you from far, far away. We've heard that your God is a living God and he is wonderful and he is amazing. Um, and they tricked them. And they agreed to have a treaty with them that they wouldn't kill them because they thought, like, they're not even in Ireland. They're my, my, uh, way off. And what they did was they said, um, we won't kill you. And so this group is called the Gideonites. It's in chapter 9. And the Gideonites go... Yes. So they go back because they know the people of God keep their word. They have a treaty with them. Three days later, the Israelites figure out we were lied to. It was a trick. But the important thing, if you look at chapter 9, another kind of error, verse 14. So I've told you a bit of the psalm. And uh, so the Israelites sample their provisions um, and listen to their story. But the key word is, the key line is, but they didn't inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them and let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified the oath. It was law. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gideonites, the Israelites heard that their neighbors, they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out on the third day and came to their important cities. It was a big city. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath. So, this wasn't the first mistake. We're going to make mistakes. The Israelites made mistakes. They got so confident, they forgot to inquire of the Lord and they were tricked. And just that obedience to God's word, they could have said, we made a mistake, we were tricked, that wasn't fair, we're going to kill them because that's what we should do. But that would have been contradicting God's word because God said, if you keep your, you keep your word, be obedient to my word. They made a mistake. The consequence of what they did, they forgot to inquire of the Lord. How many times have we done that? How many times have we got a little bit cocky? We might want to admit that about ourselves, but is that not the eternal battle as a Christian? Wanting to be what you want. I want my way. I want to do what I want. Um. And the consequence, and I even admire that, and I think there's really something in being um, 
making a mistake, acknowledging it, and living with the consequences. And they did. They didn't. Didn't. Uh, it kind of dragged them into a lot more of their stuff. And I really encourage you to read it again. But um, we're going to make mistakes. Joshua, Moses. If you look at any other guy, like we're going to make mistakes, but it's what we do with those mistakes. They don't negate God's promises. You know His word that says, "If you humble yourself, God will help us." There will still be consequences. But God was still kept them strong, still kept them courageous, still gave them victory, even with their mistakes. And I encourage you this morning, if you're feeling like you're not where you need to be, that you're not like a Joshua or like this, it's never too late to just stop where you are. Humble yourself and ask God to forgive you. And God's promises are still for you. Nothing is too big for him to... When we say fix, it's not, it doesn't negate the consequences. There's always consequences, but it doesn't mean he can't do something with, with the situation, with you, with what's happened. But you can't bury, you can't hide from God. The Israelite who tried to hide the gold and Jews and disobey God, you can't hide from God. So let's just look at what God is doing through that story. So in Deuteronomy 31, we read it. God declares his promise to be strong, be courageous. I am with you. Moses then shares it with Israel and Joshua. He pulls them out. It's not just something in his head. God spoke to me. It had to be declared out. It had to be spoken out. It had to be said to others. God continues through Joshua 1, verse 6, 7, 9. Joshua 9 just continues to remind Joshua. But then it's Joshua's turn to stand on his feet, to take those promises and say it for himself. I think that's every parent's fear. If you have a child, you're like, you do, you do everything for them, but there comes a time where they have to stand for themselves and do for themselves. And as a Christian, there comes a time where we stand, you've, God has promised you. I think a lot of us as well, you know, if I ask you, you, you believe God's promises. You believe that God is true. But when it comes to standing and saying it yourself and working it out, there is power in words. And we know this from John 1, 1, 15. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that, nothing was made that was made, has been made. In him, this life and that life that was the light of all mankind, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. God created the earth through words. Now, we're not God, but he has put the divine in us. And we have power in our words. And we say, this is why... If you open up Psalm, why does it always say, shout, sing, proclaim, move, declare? Because what you speak over your life, what you speak into people, what you speak over people has power. Proverbs 18.21. You'll probably quote this to me. The tongue has the power of life or death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Ephesians 4.29 warns us about this. So you've got the Old Testament declaring, then you've got 
the New Testament, saying it again, reminding the church, the church of Ephesus, what are you using your mouth for? Your mouth has power. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be a benefit for those who listen. Joshua spoke out the truth for his life and for the life of Israel. We, what are we speaking about our life? about our God, about our family, about where God wants to take us. Now, I'm not talking about a realm of airy-fairy where you're denying reality, okay? You're sick, you're sick. If someone's dying, they're dying. But there's certain truths in the Bible that we can speak into our spirits and you know with COVID and everything, I think a little bit of it has kind of like you're so afraid to like talk to people and you're so afraid to like, you know, God forbid you cough in a crowded place, everybody's like diving. Um, and even the world, like the Western world is so individual. Everything's, and it, it takes this huge world that God created and muscles it down to this little space and you're kind of like this and you're, it's about me and God, it's me and God and he can speak to me and he can. But it silences us. And I think it's a little bit left to center because the devil knows that there's power in what you speak and how you view your life and what you're saying. Um, he wants you stuck in your pain and your reality and forgetting about that there is a hope. And when you've had a failure or you've had pain or things aren't great, you'll forget all the wonderful things that God has done in your life or for your family. And all I know is in the darkest night of my soul, if you know about our, our family story, like we've had a really tough two years. And um, the thing I found very hard is I felt I lost my voice. And I'm not talking about speaking less. I felt like I just couldn't speak to God. I felt that I was in so much pain that my voice was gone. And God challenged me to, um, to speak out truths that I didn't feel in my heart at that time. That I was in too much pain to remember. And it began to awaken my spirit again. It began to build me up. It began to build my family up. Um, and it transformed like how I seen him. And when I say the dark night of my soul, like I'm not saying light stuff, I'm not saying I had a low day, I'm talking about the darkest night of your soul. And it's so difficult. It's like crawling up a rocky mountain in a storm. Like everything in your body is telling you, no, this is not the reality. There is no hope. This won't pass. There is no joy. There will be no life. But God's words are powerful and healing. And in the obedience to what he says to us and following the principles that he said, there is fruit. So when I speak that, I'm not speaking it as someone who's like, yeah, just speak it, just speak it's grand. Like, I'm telling you, it will transform your life. You know, and this is like, the world even knows this. So... Th- you know, the Old Testament is written, we know there's power in words, we know it, it's spoken over and over again. And for ages during the Enlightenment, they were like, no, it's just science, that's all, uh, the church is behind. But now, the world is catching up. 
Psychology Today is, wrote an article in 2012, and it said, for every negative thought or word you have, you need to generate three positive words to remain even in a neutral state. You need five positive thoughts or words to overcome every negative utterance to result in having a personal business relationship flourish. Positive words and thoughts help to build resilience when faced with life's problems. So God said it, the world rejected it, and now scientists and psychologists are realizing, eh, God probably knew what he was talking about. Now, they may not say that, but we knew that. God knows his word is eternal. His promises are true. And he, his truth will come out. The world will catch up. So who are you going to listen to? So God declared Joshua's promises. Moses shared it with Israel, and he continued to remind Joshua. But then Joshua takes that promise and declares it for himself and all of Israel. Joshua didn't just have to hear and believe God's promises and have Moses' affirmation. He also needed to walk it out himself, to go across the Jordan, to take Jericho, to deal with the mistakes of having sin in the tribe of Israel, to deal with the consequences of the mistakes, forgetting to consult the Lord and being tricked into an agreement. He had to get bloody. He had to break a sweat. He had to put the hours in and he had to do the work. He had to remind himself and the children of Israel what God had said. He had to physically move and say it out. Different cultures kind of like moving and, and like have different ways. You know, if you go to, say, an African church, like they move. They can't like, they're, how they worship God, how they say things are, um, it's like, in, it's how God created them. They have to move and they have to shake. And I think in Ireland, you know, outside the church, yes. Inside the church, no. Even when I said hello to you this morning, no. We've been conditioned, I don't think naturally as Irish people, I think we're loud people. I think we're really vibrant and moving. If you see a wedding at 12 o'clock, every man has a tie around his head and he's doing river dance with or without alcohol taken. When we're joyous and fun, maybe outside the four walls of church, we're loud, we're moving, we're shouting. But somehow, something, this stoic kind of like quietness has come in in church. And I, I'm not saying everybody, I'm married to a man who is not a mover or a shaker. I told him this sermon and he's like, you're going to make the mover and I hate when you do that. Because he is not, I'm like, ah, I'm moving, shaking. When I'm talking to him, I'm talking about my hands and stuff. But I used to do dance, I love movement. But... I think we've really been robbed as a nation of believers, if you're, from an, if you're Irish and you're from the Irish culture, that, you know, being still and being quiet and not speaking out is not any more holy than being loud and vibrant. And if you open up Psalms, if you look at the Psalms that we're doing this week, you know, Psalm 117, 118, 119, there's shout and declare God's goodness. Sing, proclaim who God is and what he has done. They are not quiet solemn things. They are vibrant and moving things. Our faith is active and not passive. It requires movement, action, and sound, which is very uncomfortable if it's not in your personality trait. And this is not me just trying to give you a workshop on like um, positive mental thinking. If you look at Joshua, it's here. I did not pick that out. I did not make that up to suit my personality. Joshua had to move. Joshua had to shout. Joshua had to declare. If you look at all the people of God, 
God did meet them in the quiet also. But there is always a moment for action and movement and declaring. So I'm going to give you that. Sorry, I know I've gone on a tiny bit. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put, um, Mal is going to put a song up. And um, I chose this one because it really spoke to me. So it's kind of personal. And it's actually really difficult if you're not in a good place to do this. But I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things that make me make you uncomfortable. One, I'm going to ask you to stand because you're physically letting your body do something. If you're not like a mover, I don't expect you to be like, ah, oh, Jesus, hand me the ribbons. Um, but I ask you to challenge yourself to do some movement or make a sound with your voice, even if you're not comfortable with it. Because we have to practice this. The words of the song is, you have always been faithful. You have always been kind. Yeah, you know, you're faithful through the ages. Even if it's difficult, those are truths that are in the word of God. He is always faithful. It may not feel like he's being kind. I can testify to that. But he is when you look at the bigger picture. So I'm going to ask everybody to sing, even behind your mask. Stand up. And move your body a little bit. Whatever is a challenge to you. If it's a tiny sway, a bit of Pentecostal two-step or something. Or just do something as an act of obedience to God. Not for me. Not for me. I'm going to be facing the other way. I won't know what you're doing. But as a way of saying to God, oh, this is almighty uncomfortable, but you know what? You're worth it. You are faithful. You are true. You are magnificent, and I need you.